Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, forward, prohibited by law, 18 plus, terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 10 seconds? Yes, ma'am. That's what speed do. 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 Feel it. If you're gonna take it, sweep it. Do it like dice and steal it. Wild card, hit it hard. And a Heimlich, Camden Yard. Slide on in the home plate. Take this thing in eight straight. Party late. Shake it, pop it. Welcome to another episode of the Lookout Landing podcast. I am Kate Pruser, managing editor of Lookout Landing, and I am joined today by several of our staff writers as we are doing a special podcast focused entirely on the Mariners outfield. Um, obviously the outfield was one of the areas that got most upgraded over the off season. It has a totally different look. If you were, uh, you know, asleep in a coma or something <laughs> between say 2012, 2013, and you suddenly woke up and saw the twenty. 17 Mariners outfield, you would probably not recognize what team this was. Uh, I mean, you wouldn't recognize it anyway because there <laughs> isn't anyone on this team who was ever even involved in the organization at that time. Um, but anyway, so we're going to kind of each take take a corner. So I think what I will do is introduce each of the staff members by who they're here representing. And we'll be going over the, uh, the performances so far, talking about their best moments, best skill, and how we see things going for the rest of the year for each of the players. So, first up, we have Jake Mailha. Jake, 
Who are you repping tonight? Today I'll be repping Ben Gamel, our erstwhile our res- <laughs> right fielder. Our resident, uh, our resident Giovanni Gallardo defender and Ben Gamel defender. Oh yes. Which, would you have thought over <laughs> over the off season that that's the position that you would be in now? Uh no. <laughs> Bad no, picture not at whisperer. All. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing. I I'm <laughs> <laughs> these I these these pieces that I'm writing about all these mediocre pitchers and even like Taylor Motter and Ben Gamble, uh, someone's gotta gotta represent them. Someone's gotta <laughs> gotta tell people how good they are. I mean, they're in the, they made the major leagues, right? They deserve at least one article written about them. You speak bless for the you. voiceless, yes, and so definitely we we bless you up, Jake. <laughs> Speaking of which, we are also blessed to have the mellifluous voice of one Isabel Manassian. Isabel, I think anybody who's familiar with you knows who you are here repping, but why don't you uh, why don't you give us the breakdown? So, unsurprising to pretty much everyone who follows the site, I will be talking about Guillermo Heredia. And fun fact, before in like trying to pull up my own article because I can't remember anything from yesterday, let alone a week ago, all of the hits for like lookout landing Guillermo Heredia have been written by me on the first page. <laughs> so I perhaps need to branch out or someone needs to muzzle me. But <laughs> no, no, no. It's all about establishing a brand. I mean, who would have provided ex- such exhaustive Mike Montgomery reference <laughs> to the site if not for me last year? And then, you know, when Guillermo gets traded and goes on to win a World Series with the Astros or whoever please it don't. is. I'm no, sorry. Please don't. Oh. I'm oh, sorry. Boo. I'm in a dark place, you guys. I'm sorry. All right. So uh, moving on. Next up, you you know him. He is always my co-host, John Troopin. John, who could John be talking about? Uh, my obliques are fully healthy and I'm ready to <laughs> donate them. Uh, I will be talking about Mitch Hanniger. Uh, soon to return and join this uh, group of outfielders as uh, we've put together an actually competent group of defensive players and offensive players. Who would have thought? Who would have thought it was possible? Right. John has actually got the easy assignment tonight because (laughs) of everybody who we are going to be talking about, probably the only constant, the only thing we know for sure is that Barring some incredible epic collapse, Mitch Haniger is about as sure thing as we've got in the outfield. Um, and maybe the best thing we've had going in the outfield for several years? Years and years and years? I wouldn't, I wouldn't say no to that uh, <laughs> designation. Uh, and and you, you have a, a tougher assignment, I guess, you, I would say. Right, Kate? Yes, much like... <laughs> how I was chosen in uh, any game of sport on the playground. I have the rest. (laughs) I I enfold my arms around the mediocre. Uh, So I have Gerard Dyson, Leonis Martin, Taylor Motter, part-time outfielder, part-time lover. And of course... Full-time lover, excuse (laughs) me. And maybe maybe my own personal po- calling card in this, boo. <laughs> <laughs> booga Yes, who I, I I I should note that half of my candidates are with the Tomarine <laughs> right now, and they're playing at this moment. So I will be updating you on uh on how things go. Excellent. 
first pitch app up and going. All right. <laughs> so should we? Yeah. So expect to listen to me uh, frantically clicking on a lot of tabs while I try to <laughs> cover each of these guys. Uh, so should we just should we dive right in? Absolutely. All right. We're very lucky to get a lot of your questions tonight. Thank you to those of you who sent them in. Some of them we will be addressing individually towards the end of the podcast and other ones. We're just going to kind of roll into our conversation. So, and we had a, we had a few questions that were similar, you know, is, is X player for real? Can this sustain? So just kind of going to roll them all together and roll them all up into a big, no, burrito. (laughs) <laughs> have I have I unconsciously said that I'm part of Team Burrito? Oh boy, uh, it's a dangerous it's a dangerous assertion. Betraying Team Pizza, my gosh! You can roll up a pizza. Ew, that's, that's how not the, how you eat a pizza. That's how they do it in New York and also uh, Philly to some extent. Absolutely. Well, both those teams are trash. So, <laughs> oh, ouch. Uh, all right, I'm going okay. to pry my eyes away from Kyle Hunter, who is just the the Rainier's pitching rotation is just it's a bullpen day for them because Sam Gavilio <laughs> was supposed to make the start and is instead pitching in a pitch for the Mariners tonight. It was awfully fun to listen to Dave Sims try to say Gavilio a bunch of oh times. Oh boy, he had a rough. He time had a that. rough. It's not that hard. No, I mean. It's not. Especially if you are forced to spend any amount of time around Rick Riz. I feel like Riz, <laughs> you know Riz probably had something to say about that afterwards, too. <laughs> it's right. that extra G. It's it's tricky. Gavig, gavig, yeah, he'd, he'd go in, much like he misjudged a fly ball, <laughs> he misjudged that second G. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> oh, uh, all right, so let's, let's dive right in here and, and talk about their performance so far which john has noted in our in our document this is tougher for kate yeah as are most things <laughs> um, but yes let's 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 round table and just kind of make sure we're all on the same page with where everybody are where everybody is and we'll start with you jake great um so yeah today i wrote um an article about ben gamel and uh, some of the improvements that he's made at the plate um and with ben gamel we have to remember that he's only had 62 plate appearances i guess 66 now with today's four plate appearances um so uh the sample size is pretty small but i think there's enough here that we can start to say he's made some actual improvements to his um his uh batted ball approach Uh, one of the big things that has been talked about constantly throughout baseball is um, this relationship between exit velocity and launch angle um number of players uh particularly this year have made some improvements to their launch angle to elevate the ball more get more line drives and fly balls because that's where you do your damage right you're not going to get a home run or a double um on a ground ball well maybe you could get a double on a ground ball but um you're going to do more damage on uh elevated batted balls so gamel um is one of these players that has increased his launch angle he last year in 2016 his average launch angle was 3.7 degrees which is probably a majority ground balls and maybe a few line drives and fly balls mixed in. But this year he's increased it to 11.8 degrees, which is a pretty good um, increase. And it actually, it lines up with the ideal launch angle. Um, if you, um, <clears throat> if you're looking at um, the a, a relationship between enough line drives to get hits and enough fly balls to get 
um, extra base hits. Um, he's also increased his average exit velocity up to 90.6 miles per hour, um, which is great. Um, that's well above uh, league average. Um, and he's, uh, if you split his exit velocity by batted ball buckets, um, so fly balls and line drives bucketed together and ground balls in the other bucket. Um, his fly ball and live drive exit velocity looks pretty similar to what it was last year. It's 94.2 miles per hour, which is pretty good. Um, but his uh, ground ball exit velocity has increased um, by about 7 miles per hour, which is also good. So no matter where he's hitting it, how he's hitting it, he's hitting it with more authority, um, which is always a good thing. Um, He's also um, shown some really, really excellent plate discipline. His um, the rate at which he swings at uh, pitches out of the zone is is really, really good. Um, he had one strikeout tonight um, on a on a pitch elevated above the strike zone, but um, that was really the only thing that I noticed from him tonight. Um, so he's he's working pitchers um, into hitters counts. And in those counts, um, he's um, swinging at the at the right pitches, and he's making hard contact on them. And, and so that's it's a really good um, uh, approach to to a, to an at bat. It's just is um, making sure that you're getting pitches that you know you can handle. And then he's actually he's, he's fulfilling on on what he is his his plan is um, at the plate. And so um, yeah, it it it's been really encouraging to see the the improvements that he's made this year. Are you surprised to find yourself a Ben Gamble fan? You know, I, I, I liked the pickup last year. I didn't think that he was going to be this good. I, he always looked like a fourth outfielder to me, um, just looking at his minor league uh, numbers and his scouting reports. But I think the, the, the biggest difference for him this year is, is definitely the launch angle. If he can find that gap power, um, that he's that we've seen, especially in that series in Philadelphia, um, I think he could do some damage on uh, on on some pitches, and um, he can turn into a, a serviceable um, outfielder who might be maybe will will go back and forth between being a fourth outfielder and a regular starter. Um, he he probably won't turn into someone who someone like Mitch Haniger, who's who's lighting the world on fire, but he's definitely a useful player and. Um, yeah, he's he's a, he's a great piece to have because he's so young. And we've talked a lot about him offensively, but defensively is I I've been very surprised on how good he is, especially uh, running in on the ball. Yeah, and making those kind of amazing diving catches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's had a few of those that have been really really spectacular. Um, the one thing I did notice about him defensively, he seems a little hesitant. Uh, near the wall and when he's going back on the ball I've noticed that a few times where he's he's taking these weird like securitous routes mm-hmm. um, <laughs> when he's when he's tracking the ball backwards and and I think that just that is maybe just a comfort thing getting used to the stadiums that he's playing in um, yeah I'm not sure I, I I think that we'll see it sort of even out as the season goes on but yeah, it's just the one thing that I noticed he did have that really really great throw on Tuesday from uh, right field to home plate to nail uh, Daniel Nava. That was pretty awesome. Probably a probably a game-winning throw, right? Cause or at least game-saving. Game-saving. Sure. Yes. I mean, who knows what the Mariners would have done offensively afterwards. But, um, yeah, I, I've just as far as defensively and the arm and everything, I, initially I thought he looked poor out there a couple of times, misjudging where things were. But I think you're right. I think it's just that comfort level. Mm-hmm. 
All right. Well, let's move on to uh, speaking about defensively. I think probably maybe the most defensively talented player in this group combined with his offense, I think is Guillermo Heredia. I've been so surprised with just the level of play that he's shown out there. Yeah. Uh, so Isabel, why don't you give us, give us the rundown on where Guillermo is. So his defense was what I think initially attracted anyone who was remotely interested in him to actually sign him. Um, he was like a two-time gold glove winner in Cuba. Um, and has shown that consistently in more played appearances. So he is fast approaching the legitimate sample size point. He's at 92 played appearances. He may have gotten even closer today if he'd been allowed into the country. I'm not going to talk about that because Twitter tells me I'm wrong. Uh, <laughs> but I have a few things to say to Twitter about uh, import taxes on Canadian lumber, but we can leave that for another time. I think we can stick to baseball in this one realm. Um, so the interesting thing about Heredia this year is that he is showing offensively a lot more power, relatively speaking, than what he we saw last year, both in his minor league numbers and in his like call up in July. Um, conversely, he's also taking way fewer walks than he ever has, um, but part of that is made okay by the fact that he's like become one of the best contact hitters in baseball, which is what I spent about a thousand words on last week um, looking at his contact rates the fact that he's seeing like more pitches in the zone than almost any other player in the majors and that he's scarcely swinging at anything outside of the zone so that all kind of combines to create what is essentially a really tough out and that coupled with his speed on the bases has made him really valuable um I know that I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but like the popular idea I think is to platoon him with Dyson once Hanniger gets back because there's not really anyone else that can be platooned with Dyson in the same way. But I think that if they do that, they're missing out on a lot of the benefits of that Heredia offers, coupled with the fact that it's just very cool this season to see him. This feels like He's fully settled into his role in the States, in the major leagues. Like This is almost exactly the same kind of player that you can see in his limited stats in Cuba. I was just watching some of his uh, defensive highlight reels from the scouting reports on Baseball America. Like, there's an exact like mirror image catch from that one that he, the home run that he robbed whatever it was last week, two weeks ago. Oh, that's very cool. And we have Olive Garden to thank for this, right? Yeah, that's right. They have strengthened him. <laughs> Red Sticks have strengthened him. Um, he, if you don't know what we're referring to, already had a hard time adjusting to um, what food was going to be good for his body when he came to the U.S., um, which I think is something that maybe doesn't get talked about very much with mm -hmm. players, especially with players who have come from, you know, like I imagine Dejo probably had a similar problem 
Um, just because you're talking about two extremely different cuisines, you don't have that assimilation process of going through the minors where you, especially if you start in the low minors where you're doing homestays and you get mm -hmm. cooked for and um, really coached along in that. No, Guillermo coming out of Cuba was just kind of thrown in and um, there and is the, a cultural effect. The other part too is like for these non-native English speakers, like we read about this, if you read uh, Carlos Carrasco's piece in the Players' Tribune, like they don't know how to order for themselves. Uh, it's going to a restaurant, if you've traveled abroad anywhere, going to a restaurant and trying to order in that native language is hard and it's scary. And so you get guys who are ordering pizza like Carrasco did every single day because that is what that's he learned how know. to do. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's um there's a similar story told in Edgar Martinez's book actually, Patience Pays, uh, <laughs> where he talks about when he first got sent to uh, I guess it was Bellingham probably. I think that was Yeah, maybe. Bellingham represent. Yeah. <laughs> um and they you know, it was lunchtime and or breakfast and they went to a McDonald's and the only thing he knew was that McDonald's had, had hamburgers, so he went up and tried to order a hamburger, but it was breakfast time and everyone laughed at him because you can't get a hamburger at McDonald's at 8 a.m. or whatever. Um, or you couldn't really? back in the 80s. You couldn't in the <laughs> 80s. Say, like, different time. What? Different time. I know you can't conceive of the 80s, but it was wild. Let me, <laughs> I promise you. Phones had cords they attached to walls. It was... Now you're just crazy talk. <laughs> this is nonsense. <laughs> But yeah, I think that's a that's an How interesting point. How did you text? <laughs> By writing notes and passing them in class. Oh! <laughs> I know. Stony. My wrist hurts already. All right, John. Let, why don't you talk about uh, why, why don't we why don't we switch over to you talking about Hanniger then? Speaking of things hurting. <laughs> oh. oh. Okay. It okay. literally does hurt my heart every time. Like, I have a physical pain when I think about Mitch Hanniger not playing for this club right now. Yeah, I mean, I when Hanniger initially went down, that was sort of, you know, that, I mean, what was it, what are we, Black Tuesday, I believe is what we've been calling <laughs> Black it. Black oh, yeah. Tuesday. Um, it, it, was, it was horrible. Not, I mean, you know, obviously, personally, um, you know, any Mariners fan loves Felix and doesn't want him to be gone and and anyone who's watched the Mariners this year wanted Hanager to be healthy um but you know I it was fun to watch uh Hanager play I think obviously I have been a strong advocate for uh or not for him necessarily but it, that he was going to be a quality player um, and so it was exciting for me to see that he was doing well. But you know, yes, I think let the record show that John was on the Hanager bandwagon nah, way, well, well, way, <laughs> way. I mean, from the moment that we signed, that we made that trade, John was like, sure. "This is this is going to be a thing." And you, because you took some guff for it, people were not uh, were not totally on board because it is he's a hard sell. He's what twenty six, twenty seven. Is a twenty six year old rookie. Yeah, I mean, so it, it, it was, and he didn't have a great <laughs> showing in the minors last or in the majors last year during his brief time. Hmm. And we in Seattle, I think, especially, are very 
wary of the player who mashes in AAA and then can't translate to the minors or the majors. That's like we have had our Stefan Romeros, we have had <laughs> our Jesus Monteros, we have had our Dustin Ackleys, even our Mike Zuninos. We've been uh, burned so many times. Absolutely, um, and and so that's I guess that's where I, I love that. That's what I've loved about Hanniger, and that's what I think has been so wonderful is that you know we all. When we trade, when the Mariners traded for Seth Smith um, or acquired Seth Smith a couple of years ago, it was such a revelation for us that a hitter could take on an 0-2 count a pitch, you know, that was in the dirt. Um, that you know, a hitter could have the patience to draw walks and to you know get on base and just generally, you know, we we heard over and over, professional hitter, professional hitter. You know, it, it almost wore us into the ground, and and it was wonderful. And Seth Smith was a wonderful player, but. The thing that I think I have loved about Hanniger so far is that he does the things that, you know, that Seth Smith does and combines that with, you know, above average speed and solid defense. I guess that is what has been so exciting to watch is, you know, obviously he's been exceptional and, you know, I don't think he's necessarily going to continue quite at the at the clip that he has so far. But, um, you know, having a guy who runs an on-base percentage 100 points higher than his batting average who is able to struggle one day or struggle for the first week even and still get you know or or have you know I remember that first uh you know that first week in the Astro series he looked so overmatched um by Ken Giles and we were all worried about yeah. him you know stressed and you know he's one of the only people to hit Chris Davinsky who's been absolutely unbelievable this year he you know, he came back the next night and was solid he came back the next week and was solid and every game he was steady you can put him in the two hole he's gonna get on base or he's going to you know hit a single hit a double or he's going to at least make the pitcher throw four five six seven more pitches um, and give not only the hitters behind him more to work with but get that hitter or get that pitcher out of the game earlier. And that has been fantastic to have at the top of the lineup. And I cannot wait to have him back because it's more fun to watch the Mariners when he is healthy. I think one of the things that we often forget about Mitch Haniger is that he had, like, last year he had a major overhaul to his swing mechanics right. that allowed him to tap into a lot of his power. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, and we saw that in his brief time this year. Like, he was just roping the ball everywhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I think it's it's just a it's a outworking of of those mechanics that um, he's really grown comfortable with, and I think Edgar's really helped him um, to to continue that that success that he that he showed, even if it was in uh, moderate success uh, with Arizona, it, it's really paid off this year. Yeah, and you talked about that, Jake. You, you know, when we first acquired him, you looked at it because I think there was some love, you know some people were talking about like, oh, this. This might be, you know, this second player in the trade might actually be something to look out for. And you looked mm-hmm. at uh, sort of the adjustment that he'd made with his swing. And I think, you know, I looked at those videos and I thought, oh, you know, this is interesting. I saw the hits that he had off of Noah Syndergaard and, you know, different hits. His swing, even like from last year, from, from two years ago to last year, looks wildly different. Mm-hmm. But even from last year to this year, you know, he's not, you know, last year I was worried because he was, he would swing, but he was still sort of diving out of the plate. And this year 
he has the leg kick, he has the lower hands, he has the sort of uh, fly ball swing that you know we've heard every hitter talking about. You know the mm-hmm. Josh Donaldson swing, the you know the Z- or Jake Lamb swing, whatever. Um, but his weight seems more controlled. He seems more oh, comfortable sure. with it, just as he said. So I think it's a far more sustainable thing to see. Kate. Well, <laughs> how are you feeling? Talking about uh, swing changes, I think a lot of times those are uh, looked at with some skepticism. When you hear somebody coming back with a retooled swing, that's one of the cliches of spring training, right? So-and-so, best shape of his life. So-and-so has a new swing. Um, and the reason that it's looked down upon is because a lot of times it doesn't work, right? So we saw that with Leonis Martin this year with his hand positioning um that is well i mean obviously you know we 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 know how he struggled uh the good news about leonis martin is he is doing much better in tacoma he is starting to get to uh get back his swing get back his sense of himself at the plate i think um just as like a, a comparison, he was slashing 111, 172, 130 in the majors this year um, with a 0.019 ISO. And now he's up to 273, 310, 455, which, you know, even accounting for uh, some degree of triple A ness. those numbers look a lot more like what he's been doing. And um, as opposed to his ground outs, air outs ratio of 1.27 that he was running in the majors, he's up to 3.83. So it seems like he's getting that loft back a little bit. Um, So things are good for Leonis Martin, but he obviously is in AAA. We don't know if, when... He's going to rejoin the team. Is he going to become a trade piece? Who knows? Um, but he's getting right, and that's what's important. Um, Gerard Dyson has taken some heat. I feel like lately people are getting impatient with him. Um, Which is kind of strange, but I think it has more to do with the fact that he's been thrown into this like everyday center fielder role. Yeah, than anything dramatically changed on his end performance-wise. And I think it's one thing when you have a, a lineup that has Cruz, Segura, Cano, Haniger, a well-hitting Danny Valencia, which is what we think we might have now if his turnaround <laughs> is for real. Um, but it's very different when you have a lineup that includes Mike Freeman, Tuffy Ghostwitch, uh, Taylor Motter playing left field. I, it's just, you know, there's not a lot of places to conceal him. Um, probably the, he's down a little from where he should be. He's, he's not batting at the same levels that he was, that he has over his career. But the good news is his, um, walk rate and his K rate are both really in line with what he's done. And actually both of them are even better He's not necessarily striking out. Uh, The problem is when he hits it, it's pretty much always an out. 
Um, and that is, I think a big part of that is his ground ball rate has dropped about 10% from 55 to 46%, while his fly ball rate has increased from 24% to 38%. And, you know, mm. unless it's like a blue pit, Gerard Dyson is not hitting, well, we saw him do it in Philly, but, uh, he's not necessarily smashing a double to the gap. So... Uh, I think part of it is that profile, that batted ball profile is a little troubling. Mm -hmm. um, so th there are some different reasons, but obviously, you know, what he brings is speed and defense, um, which I think when the lineup is functioning like it's supposed to, you can absorb his bat into it. But I don't think you can have Gerard Dyson and Mike Freeman and Tuffy Ghostwitch coming up in an inning, which happened several times today, right? And it was miserable. I, I was just like, we have no... I would be more surprised if anything positive comes out of this than not. Yeah. The bottom three today went 0 for 4 each. Yeah. I so. mean, that's... that's You, you just understand that. So, um, Dyson, Martin, and then we've got Taylor Motter out there. Taylor Motter is not a great outfielder, I think. He's athletic, um, but he's not practiced out there. You can see that a little. What was it? When was it that he took the crazy route on the fly oh, ball? Yes. You know was, what I'm talking about, right? It was straight up Aoki. Um, it was in it was Philadelphia, like, wasn't it? Yeah, it was one of the Philly games. It I was just, the first Philly game. It was the I, first Philly my game. My heart stopped. Yeah, it was a crucial out. I want to say it was when Diaz was pitching. It, maybe it was Alta Villa. I think, I think it was earlier. It was a crucial point. But it was the nuttiest route. Yeah, I mean, he was just, he was all over the place. So, I mean, again, with him, you're dealing with, part of that is he's young, he doesn't have a ton, ton of time in MLB, he's in a park he's never been in before, and he's in a position that he's not in. And he's a great athlete, but, um, and, you know, we've seen him make some slot in really well at first base and make good catches uh, in foul territory and, and stuff like that, but... It's a whole different animal to ask him to play left field. So um, the value for him, obviously, is just trying to get his bat into the lineup, which, um, you know, he's been incredible in exit. I think we all read the piece uh, by Jeff Sullivan, is baseball's most improved hitter, Taylor Motter, where he talked about the increase in his exit velo. Let's just let's just remind you of the names that were on that list with the ninety in the ninety seventh percentile, the top ten in exit velo, uh, Sano, Joey Gallo, Miguel Carrera, Nick Castellanos, Freddie Freeman, Chris Davis, Manny Machado, Aaron Judge, and Taylor Motter, and then Yandy Diaz. I don't know exactly what that's all about. But. The cool part about Motter with all those names too is that he doesn't have the same heavy negatives that I associate with like Joey Gallo and that propensity for just striking out any time that he's not crushing the ball. Yeah. I, Taylor Motter is not going to be a black hole. I mean, the exit velo is great and the hard hit is great, but if he could just, you know, drop a single in every so often <laughs> he takes so many walks my favorite thing about taylor motter is probably when he crouches down and makes himself <laughs> altuve side have you seen this he's gotten away with this many times 
he crouches down and makes himself like Jose Altuve sized and somehow umps fall for it and they call pitches <laughs> that are pretty clearly strikes into balls. I don't know how he does. I don't know how he gets away with it, but um, so I, I mean, obviously Taylor Motter we're talking about as an outfielder because otherwise we, if we didn't have, imagine if we didn't have Taylor Motter, we would have Danny Valencia playing the outfield, and isn't it nice that we don't have to ha- we we don't have to be including Danny Valencia in this conversation today? And that's a chain reaction too, because then that means that like Mike Freeman is playing first base or Dan Vogelback, which oh, is Vogelback. Yeah, I mean that's uh, a yeah. that's a that's a different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so. Um, uh, Anyway, those are those are the rest of them, and then there's Boog. But Boog is pretty solidly a. He had a brief call up. It wasn't awesome. It didn't go awesomely. Um, Boog is supposed to be a great base stealer, but he's he's been caught a few times. Um, I don't know if they're sending him, if it's his choice, or if he's deciding it. But he is he's run into a little bit of problems running the bases lately. And in, currently in Tacoma, he's lost his spot in center field and is playing right field, which I don't think is like quite as natural for him. I'm not sure he has quite the arm strength of a right fielder, um, but he, he's 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 fine. But he's definitely on the fringes as far as far as this group goes. I know you meant they as like the coaching staff of the Rainiers, but I like to imagine that aliens are sort of <laughs> intervening and <laughs> making calls, to beaming you know, instructions directly into Boog Powell about what his base running tactic should be. I mean, it could be Mountain Dew and Pixie Sticks influenced <laughs> hallucinations <laughs> where he hears this little voices possible. telling him to run. But That's possible. In horse racing, they have these things that they put on the horses' heads if they're super distracted, called uh, blinders, or blinkers, rather. And it just doesn't let them look anywhere else except straight forward. And that's kind of what I'm always inclined to put on Boog's helmet. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, I think Boog is very much like an ADHD kid. Like, he is just kind of... He's just very... He, he pays attention to everything out there. <laughs> Squirrel! Yeah. No, no, in an, in an adorable way, honestly. Sure. Uh, I always wonder if his PED pop was maybe for something... You know, I, I 100% believe that Boog was not intentionally... I, I do not believe Boog intentionally took anything. I've spoken to someone at the Rainiers... They're like, uh, I never weigh in on stuff like this, but I think there's no way that that he did that intentionally. Um, one day, one day, Book will be cleared, but I, I do wonder if maybe that was an issue. Um, so, talking about my favorites, um, maybe we could talk about. I, I think I might have to skip this one because I'm not sure I have a favorite moment for Dyson Martin modern Boog in the outfield, but. Can you guys each uh, suggest what we've seen out of the other three for your favorites? Um, I certainly, I think my favorite moment um, was the uh, robbed home run uh, by Mitch Haniger, uh, which you know I think there there have been some fantastic ones uh, this year, uh, and 
I don't know if it'll quite stack up to another play by someone else in this group. <laughs> but um, I was at the game, and uh, it was just a spectacular uh, play that obviously changed the entire course of that game. And, and um, you know, I think especially since, you know, I think Hannigan had a wonderful offensive, uh, you know, season to that point. Uh, but the defensive play that I think might have been notable was that sort of sliding catch that he wasn't able to make uh, that, mm-hmm, right. you know, we've we've generally, you know, passed over. But still, I think was <laughs> certainly was a bummer. And um, and his ability to range, that was a long way to range for that, uh, you know, probably range like 70, 80 plus feet, uh, time it out and make sort of a star jump catch uh over the wall um that was absolutely the memory the you know the memory of of this season for him so far you, you and, know, and for him too since he yeah. he made it his twitter uh avi mm-hmm. like obviously that which i thought was cool that that's that's what kind yeah. of stands out or means a lot to yeah. him well, it it was interesting because like i think outfielders in general and i'd be curious how other people may feel you know whether you play at uh you know high school level college level any level uh you know i remember t- uh an interview with ken griffey jr uh, i think there's an article actually in the players tribune about how he doesn't remember that many of his home runs but he remembers almost every single home run he mm-hmm. robbed mm-hmm. um and yeah. how for <laughs> outfielders sort of that's the pinnacle um and <laughs> it makes sense you know that that it's it's this perfect moment this perfect play uh where not only are you just making one out but you are you are actively in that exact moment saving runs for your team you're taking runs away from the other team you're you're saving your pitcher uh you know that's got to be a fantastic feeling so that and and it was incredible to watch so that that's the standing memory for me a side note on that is that was also the day that I decided that I loved Mark Zipchinski, <laughs> who I have not been like particularly, you know, he was a lot, he's a lefty specialist, he's, you know, whatever. Um, I hadn't had super strong feelings about him, but seeing his reaction to that and just like yeah. how much he wears his emotions on his face, the mm. just pure naked relief and gratitude a lot of joy in that goatee. The joy, oh man, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I love me some Zipchinski, and that was that was such a cool moment too. Because it's always nice to see players um, interact with each other warmly, and I thought that that was mm-hmm. that was a great moment. Ooh, speaking of players interacting warmly, that makes me think of the very nice hug, Heredia, Hanniger hug. Right? Oh. Didn't we have one of those? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes, that was that same game. That was that it same. It was such a good game. <laughs> that was a fun game for Isabel and I collectively. <laughs> I believe Guillermo had a either t- game tying or ga- or go ahead homer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah should game. we go to? Should we continue talking about Heredia, who I think is going to be the clear winner of this conversation, <laughs> or should we should we save him to the end and have Jake weigh in on Gamble now? I think Ben Gamble's favorite moment best moment uh is his game on tuesday yeah. <laughs> four for five with a uh, run saving throw from the outfield i mean you can't oh, really man. get much better than that that was a really awesome game from him and it was really kind of a breakout moment for him yeah like he I, like had, I mean way. he had been hitting up until then but like that was like that was just came out of left field right field 
I like answering the question in that way. Like, this was his favorite game for sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. Wouldn't that throw, like, I, I remember watching it on, like, watching it on the screen. It looked like it was high. Like, I was yeah. like, oh, oh yeah. God, dang it, Ben. Like, <laughs> you, didn't, you probably would have been fine with, like, a, a normal throw. But, like, you air, oh, no, you just put it right on the money, didn't yeah. you? <laughs> like, oh, Cameron Rupp's out by, like, 30 feet. Oh, maybe it wasn't Cameron Rupp. But whoever was on third base. It was totally Cameron Rupp. Yeah. <laughs> He but. got some um he got some serious love for that nationally too. Like that was a Oh yeah. That got covered on all the baseball shows and everything. So mm-hmm. that was ni- it was nice for Ben Gamble to have his moment in the sun. Side story about Ben Gamble, I have not been a Ben Gamble fan. I've been a vocal <laughs> not really? Ben Gamble fan. Yeah, his mom found me on Twitter and was like, "Why all the Gamble hate?" which sort of just deepened my Moms always loved me. I was so sad about that. <laughs> um, but my own mother thinks it's hilarious that I don't like Gamel and takes every opportunity to rub his success in my face. <laughs> Good for her. And will send me texts when he does something great. Once we were watching together and he did something great. And she was like, Hanny, like me now. <laughs> And so she'll send me that in text form when he does good things. My mom only casually oh watches baseball, but she watches enough so that she can rub my nose. It's her way of keeping me humble, I think. That has the potential to ruin him for you forever. <laughs> my dad did the exact same thing with Mark Trumbo. And he would, oh, he would bellow like, Trumbo! Every time he hit a home run. Oh. So I have a visceral reaction anytime I watch him play. <laughs> uh, let's talk about something nicer. Let's <laughs> let's talk about the clear winner of the favorite moments moment, which certainly has to belong to Heredia, right, Isabel? Well, it feels a little unfair to match one game, like home run rob to another home run rob, but. I will say this is the superior one. Um, I'll give you that one. (laughs) And part of that, so like, there's the athleticism of making that catch. But the other part, the thing that I really think makes him stand out is that the way he recovered, like, Mm. immediately after catching it. And that's like, he threw his body into the wall, stretching up, grabbed it. Normally you see everyone like tumble to the ground and kind of lie flat and breathe hopefully. And he landed on both feet and like jumped up into the air and threw the ball in. And I can't remember the situation. I think there were runners on like second and third, maybe first and third, he was first and third from getting to second. I think there we go. And he had like a perfect throw. He got it in like blink of an eye. He had robbed a home run and thrown the ball back in. And I really, I'm, when we post this, I want to link to his scouting video because he does the exact same thing. He makes this like over the shoulder catch. It's not quite at the wall, but then he just immediately like spins, plants his feet and throws it in. And as someone who took, what was it, a year, a full year off? Was it a year plus off it was of baseball? At least a year and a half. Uh, yeah, like those sorts of things really stand out right as like he clearly had such strong instincts about not just at the plate and and you know 
base, you know, whatever, you know, the the sta- first the basic levels of what you do in baseball. But you know, this is this is a guy who's thinking at every level of the game, who's really cerebral in the field about, you know, making the play that's at hand, but also the next play, right? Oh, absolutely. I just if you watch him in the outfield at any given moment, if the ball is hit, he's moving, he's ready. His reaction time is fantastic Mm. and what is so cool about watching him this season is that this is like heredia in his fullest form Mm. he's like back into baseball he is playing at his best and he's playing at an elevated level i think he's played up to the people he's surrounded by Mm. and of course it can't hurt that he's surrounded by all of these like great latin influences like of course you're gonna improve your swing and like improve your plate discipline when you have like Robinson Cano and Edgar Martinez and Nelson Cruz all around you just even being able to watch those guys on a regular basis has to help and being able to talk to them in Spanish like having getting out of the minors and having people who speak Spanish around you um, Mm -hmm. as far as leadership goes yeah, it's a, it's a huge part, I think, of why we've seen a lot of success with some of these like flyers, I guess you could say. Like, It's why I think Martin had such a good or strong start to last season and then the injuries and all that. But it makes such a difference in bringing Diaz up. You can't, you can't expect a guy like that to – it's a huge thing to expect him come up and then to start closing games and the fact that they have this strong latin core in the clubhouse that's huge i think i said that um uh guillermo heredia plays baseball like someone buttoned a baseball uniform over a tesla coil (laughs) and i stand by that because he's Mm -hmm. just he's so electric and just exciting to watch to me that's that's my favorite thing about watching and that's my choice for heredia's best skill is just like he every single at every single pitch thrown even if it's a ball he has to walk across the plate like i know you did not just throw me that ball and then he walks it or i don't know if he's like trying to muddy the strike zone or what he's doing with it but it's it's fantastic that's my favorite thing about guillermo heredia is like he just doesn't seem to have an off switch but you you are leaping into the next section here (laughs) i am i'm now curious though since since we've already made that leap talking about the best skill i think the best individual skill uh isabel what would you say that guillermo's best skill is um objectively i think it has to be his plate discipline um, mm-hmm. like those numbers I cannot get over them I'm, mm-hmm. he's just become he's got such a good presence at the plate now and that mixed with his speed makes him a really hard out and that's exactly what you want on a personal level he embodies all of the things that I love in a player he's a little bit of an underdog he's super athletic outfielder and we talked about Boog kind of always vibrating with this like manic energy. <laughs> and Heredia has a similar thing in that he's always moving. Like even when he's yes. in the box, like I don't know how, but like he makes contact while his feet are in motion. 
Like, he's halfway to first base by the time that he makes contact, it seems. But it's all controlled. He knows what he's doing. He knows his body so well. And that is a sign of an incredible athlete in my mind. You know how you can't ever see the Tasmanian devil's feet? Like, it's always just a dust cloud under <laughs> Like, that's what I see when I see already. <laughs> uh, John, what's your favorite Mitch Hanover skill? Um, well, I mean, I was going to say play discipline, but that I can't, I can't necessarily quite copy that right there. Uh, so I, I guess I'll say more, more narrowly in there, um, uh, patience, I guess a willingness to wait for his pitch. Um, you know, I th- which is not to say that Guillermo does not do that either, but I, I guess the thing that I was most impressed by with Hanager is that like he would get into a lot of two-strike counts, um, and he will, and he probably will continue to, um, but he doesn't get shook by that, um, and he's, you know, uh, we've, we've seen a lot of hitters who have struggled with that sort of mentality. And, Adam know, Lind! <laughs> yes, <laughs> sure, but, well, and, and hitters that have struggled, but, I, you know, I know a big complaint with Dustin Ackley was that he was too passive. Um, and that, you know, he'd get caught in two strike counts and then get, you know, get, get burned by lefty strikes or whatnot. And so far, you know, what we've seen from Hanniger and what we've seen, you know, is he's willing to go after that first pitch if it's his pitch, but he's not going to give in to the pitchers until there's two strikes you know, and and he's going to make pitchers make perfect pitches because anything low in the zone, anything inside, that's his pitch, and he's going to put that into the outfield. He's going to put that on a line or put that on the fly. So, um, you know, obviously you have to have some degree of power, some degree of you know contact ability to do that. But you know, even when he gets behind, he's then fouling pitches off. He's fouling pitches off. He's working long counts, um, and you know, he's not. You know he he he's striking out I think you know a round league average, um, but he's he's making every at bat into a battle of the pitcher cannot miss or else he's gonna punish it and that is extremely fun to watch because you know you know the worst case scenario essentially is a tough at bat that might end up in and out. And and that's that's a lot of fun to watch. Jake, how about uh, what do you? What's your favorite thing about Gamble? Uh, I think it's clear. Thing. It's his. It's uh. It's his flow. It's his hair. It's, uh, <laughs> I mean, the answer is clear. I find him so weird and hard to look at. <laughs> his head is gigantic, right? <laughs> I'm not has, like does wrong have about a this. Large yeah. head. It's not just and the his, large his head. His facial his hair jaw. and the hair just makes it look so much bigger. <laughs> it's because like he's got a. He's got a chaw in there constantly, but like it, Both it doesn't sides. just. It's like it's like his entire jawline is built out of chaw. It's like a double <laughs> decker. It's not the Abanias though. Like it's not the Abanias bulge. It's like a like uh like a shelf, a shelf. It's like a, yeah, it's like a Jay Leno like experience like in the future fifth graders will study the layers of (laughs) and gamble's jaw like oh we're down to the to the copenhagen layer and 
<laughs> Beneath that is, you know, they'll all do little diagram dioramas. Did y'all ever watch uh, Fairly Odd Parents, the show, or do you know what yes. that is? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, do y'all are y'all familiar with the Crimson Chin, uh, which was a superhero <laughs> <laughs> roughly based on Jay Leno? Slash um, Ben Gamble. And I think that may be Ben Gamble. Um, <laughs> He's just that becomes sentient. It's very uh, possible. Yes. I've taken to imagining that he's just working on a jawbreaker throughout every game. Because <laughs> the idea of that much tobacco in someone's mouth is so repulsive to me, it's hard to watch him sometimes. <laughs> so the idea that he's you know, sucking on a giant ball of sugar is a little better. Of course. Uh, I've, in all seriousness, I... With with Gamble, I think his plate discipline as well. I, I think it's amazing that all three of these players we've talked about, their best skill being their plate discipline. And it's just, it's this perfect encapsulation of control the zone, right? Like, this is what J- uh, Jerry Depoto is looking for in all of his hitters are batters that can control the strike zone. And Ben Gamble does it. Heredia does it. Hanniger does it. Um, Modder does yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's Dyson really does it. incredible. Yeah, All it's right. uh, it's a very fun thing to watch, especially after the not just the like 2010 to 2013 darkness, but, you know, even the 2014, 2015 teams that were maybe, you know, had good offensive players, but their offensive output was <laughs> we're going to win by hitting four solo homers <laughs> and that's about it. Uh, it's it's just a more it's I guess more sad I don't know how I'm curious how y'all feel about this but like the idea that every inning you know I mean obviously today was a different experience because half the team was not there but like every inning just you have the opportunity to get runners on base you have the opportunity to put you know to move runners over and get runners in because of the team speed and the team uh, on base ability, I guess, and and that really has been most dramatically changed by the outfield. The uh, speed, yeah, this, yeah, this, so much fun to watch and so different from any other Mariner team in my recent memory. Mm-hmm. And it changes the way I feel when like when there's a ground ball like to the shortstop, even like if Dyson's mm-hmm. there, yeah he will probably still get out but it's close and i don't know i'm a mariners fan it doesn't take much to bring me little bits of joy (laughs) also a single is now like if there's one of those guys on first a single is now rbi automatically yeah they're gonna just take off and be able to clear all of those bases which is amazing um so Looking forward, the Mariners might have a good problem on their hands, which is Hanniger's supposedly going to come back. I'm every time I see an update, I'm like, because I'm afraid to hope. Even I miss him so much. Um, Mm -hmm. But what happens when Hanniger comes back? We've talked about him being the only certain starter everyday starter what does everybody else do 
Um, are these guys who are maybe outperforming what we think they are or what we thought they were? That's modern Gamel and maybe Heredia even. Um, can they sustain these levels of production? So I think part of figuring out like who is going to fit where is, which is kind of moving on to another question, but it all ties in in my mind, so bear with me. It's going to depend on where, who they decide to fill in for center field. And that, in my mind, you sacrifice a little bit of extra offensive pop to have a really reliable center fielder, which is what we did with Martine all of last season, for better or for worse. I think what we're looking at with the options we have now, they don't have the same dramatic floors that Martine did. I don't see, because we talked about this just now, like they've all got strong plate discipline skills. So they're not, and that's such a easily sustainable skill. I'm inclined to say that, obviously, again, I'm biased. I think Heredia can keep up his production. His power isn't so much that it's gonna that it's this fleeting thing, and the league is gonna adjust to him. The league did adjust to him in the sense that they stopped throwing him pitches outside of the zone. He now has like tenth, or he's seen like the tenth most pitches in the zone of anyone in MLB, and that's because he pitches pitchers were throwing him outside of the zone, and he just wasn't swinging at it. And now they're throwing it in the zone, and he's just being able to make contact. Mm -hmm. So I see him able to sustain this absolutely. Um, I'm more skeptical of Taylor Motter, but he also is kind of the loose cannon of this group in that we don't, we didn't pay much attention to him beforehand. So I have very little frame of reference around him. But I don't believe that any of these guys are, we're not going to be looking at them in July going, oh God, he's up. We're screwed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I th I think particularly with Modder, he fits as, as more of a utility guy. He's not an outfielder by trade. So I, I think we can just remove him from the conversation at all, in, in the first place and just call him, call him utility man extraordinaire. Mm -hmm. and and with the the rest of them i think uh we'll see ups and downs i mean all th all three of the the guys that we've been discussing tonight have have are all um either in their first or second year in the majors and uh so we'll see ups and downs that come with being a young player in the major leagues and we'll see pitchers adjust to them and we'll need to see them adjust back um, and so that'll be really the the key to to see, to whether or not they're be able they're going to be able to perform throughout the year is is if they're going to be able to make those adjustments uh, on the fly. Definitely, and I think you know the best I'm the best outfield I think that this team can put out there right now from from what we've seen uh, I think would be. Gamble in left field, Heredia in center field, and Hanniger in right field, with Dyson as this just ultra sub on the bench, and you know essentially performing the role that he has uh, performed in Kansas City for the last several years, where it's like 
you put him in in the later innings as a pinch runner and then as a super defensive player um and you know he's this almost you know a free base off of the bench you know where a guy gets on first base and we have a few people who you know could if they get on base essentially you know you're you're not only just getting a free extra base probably from a stolen base but you know Tuffy Gosowich, if he gets on base ever one day, you know, uh, he's not going to steal second base, but he's also a danger not score from second on a single. You know, same thing with, uh, you know, with like Carlos Ruiz or with, you know, Danny Valencia. And, and you know, you can, you can do a lot of stuff when you have speed, not only in your starting lineup, but speed on the bench. And so and I think, bullpen, yeah, and in your bullpen, and in your starting rotation, <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, I think it would behoove the Mariners, especially. You know, I don't think Gamble, necess- you know, is necessarily going to sustain this. Um, I think the adjustments, as Jake outlined today, and as you know, as we saw from Mark from USS Mariner, similarly um, outline. Um, I think the adjustments may have been enough to bump him from being just a fourth outfielder to being a worthwhile starting outfielder. Uh, and that seems like a fantastic problem to have, as was said already. Um, so, Mar- you know, someone like Dyson, who plays fantastic defense, but his hitting is so... <laughs> And, you know, it's, it's, it's so, it has such swings. Um, you know, if, you know, I think he served, he's best served on the bench um, and coming in later. Um, Martin, if he is able to figure it out and come back, uh, I think is also probably still a little bit better than Gamble. But, uh, you know, it, we are blessed to have this be our problem. Right. Because right. if Martin is better than Gamble, we can send Gamble back to the minors. It's not like we have to right. worry about DFAing right. him. The other thing right. is like how incredibly young and controlled this group is mm-hmm. and how little yeah, salary definitely. they consume between Gamble, yeah. Heredia, right. and Hanniger. Yeah. I think at, at some point that has to come into the equation when it comes to playing time. Like, mm-hmm. we... Dyson is is signed for just this year. He's going to be gone next year. He might even be traded at the trade deadline. I mean, uh, it's it's nice to have all of these young options mm-hmm. that we can that we can play and and have them gain that experience because we control them for so long. And and when it comes down to it, I would rather play someone like Ben Gamble or Guillermo Heredia over Jared Dyson in the middle of June and July to get them that experience rather than Jared Dyson who. Was, is, is won't be part of the team next year. Right. And, you know, Martin's 29. Like, you know, he's still, you know, he's about in his, you know, uh, an average age for a player. But, you know, Ben Gamble's 24. I mean, he turns 25, I think, later this month. But, you know, Heredia's 26. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Hanniger's 26. You know, these are young, cost-controlled players that whether they want to roll with them in the future um, you know, I know we had a question about is the outfield of the future in the organization right now, um, but you know whether they want to roll these together in the future or whether they want to you know say hey look at this look at look at Ben Gamble fantastic new potential outfielder for you <laughs> organization with a, a useful catcher or organization with a starting pitcher that yeah. is 
capable. You know, the, those are all things that, you know, any good play is valuable, whether it's, you know, currently happening for the Mariners or whether it's just in terms of acquiring different, you know, uh, you know, talent in different positions for the Mariners. So all of, you know, all of this is good. None of, you know, these are great problems to have, as we've said, and, and I think it's very exciting to have this outfield. All right. Well, um, I think maybe we'll take a little break and mm-hmm. uh, come back and answer some questions. Any that we didn't get to? Does that sound good? Sounds good. I'm going to check in good. on this Tacoma game. <laughs> Mike Zanino hit a clutch single, just, just so you know. There we go. Zach Grinke's pitching a no-hitter. Yes, yeah. I saw. I got that notification on my phone as well. Mm-hmm. All right, well, we will check in with you in a few. would be a great time if we had somebody sponsor the podcast to just run a little like podcast <laughs> ad don't you think absolutely if you want to sponsor the ll podcast heard by tens of people <laughs> please shoot us an email <laughs> i've checked those stats it's dozens it's, do- it's dozens dozens Woo! all right really email box <laughs> yeah Try and get that. Try and get the the hub promotion. <laughs> okay, now is the time on the podcast where we answer your questions, John. All right, our first question tonight uh, comes from Whiskey Rick, uh, and as is apparently tradition, oh I will attempt to <laughs> read this in the proper accent. How long before the team looks for outside help at the catcher position? <laughs> A team with postseason ambitions can't continue with this. I love that your idea of a Scottish accent (laughs) is just yelling. (laughs) John, do you practice that, like, in the shower or something? Here's the deal. Here's the truth. Uh, the only like Scottish accent I've ever heard is my friend of Scottish heritage, whose D and D character, who he named Weho Stan, has a <laughs> Scottish accent for no particular reason. But the problem is, my character in that same campaign, his accent is yelling exclusively. <laughs> so I think I just blend that. Uh, that's wonderful. Anyway, it's a good question. It's a great question. <laughs> I would be shocked if they're not looking for help already. It's really. I I don't think so. I don't think so. I think that Jerry Depoto believes in Mike Zanino, as much as that pains me to say. <gasps> <laughs> I guess my concern isn't so much with the belief in Mike Zanino; it's that the lack of belief, I guess, in. Tuffy Gosowich and <laughs> Carlos Ruiz, whom I okay, love so much. But you can't expect this ragtag duo to help Zanino at all 
once he's back in the majors. And yeah, I think that there's the problem with outside help is there is no outside help available. I mean, there's mm-hmm. Jer- Jared Saltalamachia, which you know Ugh, he's yuck. he's no, no. I kind of wish we had taken a flyer at Luke Mail, who um, Toronto picked up. We actually saw him today. He's not great offensively, but um, and maybe that's why they passed him over because he's another. Uh, you know, not great bat, but plus up defensively. I'm still sad we gave up Sucre, but whatever. Oh, man. I... Maybe we get Sucre back from the, the Rays, and they can bring Chris Archer with him. <laughs> well, <laughs> the they're best dream. friends now. So... Yeah, exactly. Um, we so... stick together. But no, there, wondering... there's no outside help. Like, there's no outside help, and there's sadly no outside help coming from inside the organization either. Uh, Marcus Littlewood is very kind of uh, um, Steve Barron actually just hit a single in this Rainier's game. Um, <laughs> he is he is probably the same as Tuffy goes. Which Tuffy got the call up because he's better defensively. Uh, and he's on the forty man. And he's on yeah. the forty man, so that made that kind of. I mean, if if Tuffy continues to really struggle, I think maybe they'll do some shuffling. But I just I don't think that they see the. Uh, Zanino is going to be down long enough and Zanino is starting to get his stroke back it was so great to watch him hit the home run I saw it in person in Tacoma the other week this Tuesday I guess it was and he just man he just smoked the ball and that must feel really good for him because he really wasn't even hitting with power in spring training right I mean he was getting on base a lot he was walking he was singling but he wasn't hitting for power so if he can just take a while there to kind of get back to himself. Um, but other than that, there's really, there's no, there's nothing outside and there's nothing in the organization either. They've, um, they've just tried to convert Joe DiCarlo at mm-hmm. Modesto into being a catcher. Yeah. Because I thought there was the sunglasses, like... <laughs> the sunglasses master. <laughs> <laughs> I thought there was an error with my, um, with my MILB uh, app the other day. Cause I was like, what Joe DiCarlo is not a, Oh, Oh, <laughs> Oh, that's how things are. And uh, that's the worst part of this question is that you look down this like deep pit into the Mariners system and there's nothing to spell any of these catchers. And that's what I'm kind of curious about this upcoming draft. I know Ethan is pretty low on almost all of them, but it'll be interesting to see if they use a top pick to try and harvest another catcher. Yeah, and I've I've looked at sort of some of the teams that have struggled out of the gate this year as sort of potential trade targets. Um and it's there's not really a great fit anywhere you know like russell martin on the blue jays who you know have been atrocious so far and may have shot themselves out of playoff contention especially considering they're in the al east you know has a 20 million dollar contact contract for the next couple of years you know that's likely not someone that that the you know mariners are going to want to purchase um you know uh but like other uh, you know other teams that have struggled out of the gate you know the giants aren't gonna sell off buster posey <laughs> you know um i'm not sure you know 
Francisco so, Cervelli, similarly on the ti- on the Pirates, rather has a you know, pretty has a I think ten million dollar contract, something you know. There aren't cheap catchers really out there that that uh, people are going to want to sell off. The one team that I can think of off the top of my head that might have a catcher uh, who would be on the block would be the Tigers. Mm-hmm. Oh, they yeah. have James McCann, Alex Avila, and they have John Hicks, former Mariner, mm-hmm. who I mean they've, he's been playing first, but he's a catcher by trade, and mm-hmm. and I mean the the Tigers are in the in the wild card race; they're mm-hmm. right around 500, so it's not like they're they're completely out of it. But that's just that's if, if I I'm trying to run through all the teams in my mind. We could and, probably and sell the, the Tigers some. Come up with. We could sell the Tigers some bull, bullpen help. We could trade yeah. them yeah. some bullpen yeah. help for their sure, yeah. catcher because they are even worse than we are as far yeah. as bullpens the, go. By the way, the uh, I would like to just break in briefly and interrupt and say that Mike Zanino has just hit another home run in Tacoma. Oh so. heck yeah! <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Booyah! Good. Winning. Good. There we go. Yeah, Tacoma <laughs> because Seth Mejias Breen, who is like a totally under the radar pickup, that has he's just been excellent at Tacoma. Although it's weird, he's pushed Zach Shank out of his job, kind of. Um, well, he's pushed him out of third base. Zach Schenk is over at shortstop now. He has I think, so many jobs. Base. He does yeah. all the jobs, honestly. <laughs> yeah. But um, he has Breen had just hit a three-run home run before that. So Nice. Yeah, Tacoma is the, fun uh, as heck. The, the, the sort of pie in the sky, I guess, that I, I would imagine is implausible for many reasons still. Uh, Cost-controlledness among them. Cameron Rupp. Is, I was just is, oh, uh, heck yeah. you know, he's 28, so he's not really a prospect. You know, he's probably not going to develop too much more, but he's been a decent catcher. Um, you know, He's affordable enough that the Mariners could fit him in their payroll, and if they were willing to part with... God, I, ca- I can't really project even what he would cost, but you know, the Phillies still aren't you know, necessarily looking to compete this year. But they do have the best catching prospect in their minor leagues. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so Rupp is going to be out of a job by the by the summer. And whoever right. their backup is right now, too, is they've been using him somewhat serviceably as well. Andrew Knapp, who right. I have never heard of, but he was, uh, a good catcher. He was like... <laughs> in for a few innings, I believe, in each game of that series that He's got, just he's got a very bad mustache, but he's also <laughs> been a decent, decent hitter. So that I guess that that would be the dream goal for me if if we're gonna go for outside help. But um, I don't think we do. I think it's yeah, Zanino it comes unlikely. back and hopefully has had some healing time in Tacoma where he has learned to love the baseball punishing again. <laughs> without without learning to love the chasing again. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, everything that I've seen, he's he's still taking his walks, but he's also good. like, oh, hey, uh, that fastball down the middle. I think I can do something with that. Which is like <laughs> a whole new, whole new way Absolutely. of thinking about things. I think uh, he proves me wrong. Very much so. Definitely. Um, okay. Our next question. So we, we had sort of variations on this question from a few people, um, from Andrew Van Ness, from Ben Casperson. Uh, Aravin, Delipan, uh, and even uh, and from Hillary Kirby. Um, the general gist of this question, though, are the outfielders of the future already with the organization? And if not, what do we do with Tyler O'Neill, 
with Ben Gant, with with whoever you don't think is an outfielder of the future here. My hot take for this podcast is that by either the end of the trade deadline or the end of this season, one of Ben Gamble or Tyler O'Neill is not on this team. Interesting. Do what would you what would you think they would target? Do you think they would get like younger, look for prospects, or do you think they're they're going? I mean, I guess that may depend on where the team is at, but. It'll depend on what the team's doing, because if they're still in contention, I could see them trying to flip Gamble for a starting pitcher mm. or for, like, an arm that won't <laughs> fall off. <laughs> Speaking of which, see, Steve Ciszek has just come into the Tacoma game. Just as you said that. Wonderful. Um, I think uh, Tyler O'Neill is... I think Tyler O'Neill's still the future. He's having a tough go of things right now um, as he's adjusting to AAA and breaking balls, which you don't see a lot of in AA. So that's why if anyone's looked at his stats recently and freaked out, um, yeah, he has not been showing. Initially, I think he was really anxious to prove himself at Tacoma. He was swinging a lot. He was chasing bad balls. Uh, He's settled down some. He's taking his walks more. He's doing more with what's being given to him, um, but he's still struggling with those breaking balls. And he's, you know, he's 23. Like, he's 22, actually, I think, maybe. Um, so he's he's young for the level. He's one of the youngest players at the level, and he's just got some growing to do. But I think that once he starts getting his stroke back, which he has, um, just even over the past couple weeks, he's started hitting more. Um, once he starts hitting home runs and and getting attention paid to him again, it's gonna be people are gonna be much higher on Tyler O'Neill than they are maybe right now. And I think that's kind of why I expect him to be with the organization throughout this year and next year is because if we did trade him at the trade deadline this year, we'd sort of be selling low on him mm-hmm. because he struggled in AAA. Um, and I don't think that I, that that doesn't feel like a Jerry Depoto move. No, I don't uh, think he sells low unless he doesn't, unless you're Alex Jackson or someone. And right, right. Someone somebody... who doesn't fit with the organization. Mm-hmm. Whereas Tyler O'Neill is potentially, uh, and I think Jerry has been burned a little bit in like things that could have been his signature moves, like bringing Drew Smiley to the organization, and mm-hmm. that didn't work out so great so far. Um, and... Or the big trade with um, bringing over everybody from Tampa Bay and Carnes and that didn't work out. So, I mean, Tyler O'Neill is a proof that um, this system can work. He's a proof that the new way of doing things, because he's a much better player recently than he was when he started in the organization, it's a proof that Jerry's approach can rehab these prospects who were supposedly lost. Um, I think Tyler mm-hmm. is a symbol, and I think it's really hard to trade a symbol. Right. Right. But I do agree with with Isabel that if the Mariners are in contention to, near the trade deadline, I do think we move one of our outfielders for pitching help. I think that's a realistic situation, and I think Gamble or Heredia is the one that's going to go. Not Heredia. I think. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I have to say though, like I understand not selling low on O'Neill, but he's not been so bad for such a long stretch. Like if he starts figuring it out and looking like even half of what he was last season in double A, 
he's and he's got the kind of prospect pedigree to still be a fairly helpful piece even at that point so i will stop kate has muted me or not muted me she's muted herself uh for this tyler o'neill section so i will stop (laughs) enraging her sorry my phone was uh making noise as things are happening in the various minors games um Um, you want to weigh in john oh i yeah i guess i would i would I agree. I think his his value can certainly. I don't think his value is taken such a big hit. I mean, you know, Baseball America just released their updated rankings, and he's dropped all the way from thirty third. I think he was at the start of the season to thirty fifth. You know, I think that <laughs> MLB organizations are not as you know snap judgment about players. I mean, you know, he's hitting better than Austin Meadows, one of the top hitter. You know hitters in all you know one of the top prospects in all of baseball um you know he's hitting them better than a lot of you know so he'll be fine and also you know there's a difference between you know you can sell necessarily not at the peak of someone's value and also that is different than selling low especially if you think someone's just not going to be good then selling at any level is better than selling when they've struggled for an entire year which is not to say I think Tyler O'Neill will struggle for an entire year, only that he, uh, you know, I, I don't I don't think he's harmed his value dramatically by having a tough first month. You know. So. And the other fun part of this, when we talk about outfielders of the future, and maybe there are other outfielders I'm overlooking, but Kyle Lewis is far and away my favorite mm-hmm. prospect within this organization. Mm-hmm. And part of one of these questions I think was asking like where we saw the outfield in 2018 and by that mm-hmm. point like we've had to adjust we've had to adjust Lewis's kind of projections because of his injuries right. like he's rehabbing well and within the next like two years even like year and a half mm-hmm. I think we're gonna see him in the majors mm-hmm. and having him out there coupled with whomever we still retain from this like fun grab bag of young cost controlled (laughs) outfielders like that creates a really cool trio i don't think we see kyle lewis until 2019 possibly probably at the very earliest so i don't he's not even going to be back to the low minors i think he's assigned to clinton um which is you know the lowest of that's not short season and they'll probably send him to um you know maybe he'll do some time in the rookie league maybe he'll do some rehab starts in um everett after they start that up but he's not he's not gonna have a full year of professional baseball at all so he's still gonna have to go through like uh, even if they're super aggressive in 2018 and start him in double A, that's, I mean, that's still not, he'll need a whole year at that just because of the talent jump, the jump from A to double A is the hardest jump for prospect. And that's why a lot of them spend, that's why there are multiple A levels. And that's why most of them spend the majority of their time down there. And the really good prospects are all at double A. So, you know, I, yeah. that's, that's a, a ways 
he's definitely part of the future, but I don't know if we can even talk about him in the same breath as we talk about Gamal and Heredia and and those guys, because who knows where their career is going to well, be by that point. That pushes to kind of an interesting question, or maybe it's not all that interesting after all this, but like three years down the road, do you see these guys within the organization still? I mean, with Trader all... Jerry? Yeah, right. <laughs> that's, like, <laughs> that's such a hard question to answer. I think it would not surprise me to see at least Aniger and one of Heredia or Gamble still in the organization mm-hmm. just because I think so much of the first couple of years has been getting players that fit his vision of what a team should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, you know, obviously players can succeed and players can fail, but these guys at least generally represent what he views as the types of players that are best served to succeed. And I think Kyle Lewis fits with that. And I think, you know, Tyler O'Neill, when he's successful, fits with that. So, um, the, you know, that sort of makes sense in terms of, you know, down the road. Um, you know, when especially since Gamble and Heredia and Hanager are all cost controlled through, I believe, at least 2021. So, you know, that's <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> and whether that's awesome for in, you know, the Mariners uh, organization or whether that's awesome for trade pieces, you know, that is all useful. Um, to turn to the present uh, a little more rapidly, Hillary Kirby asks, when will we see a Gerard Dyson backflip uh, and what will it be celebrating? Um, Isabel, what do you think? I'm uh, going to say game 161. They're in contention. Interesting. Uh, we're all stressed like we have been for game 161 <laughs> of the last two out of the <gasps> three last years. Oh my gosh. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What happened in Tacoma, Kate? What happened in Tacoma? I'm so sorry. Raider Escanio just hit a home run. <laughs> Maybe Eddie Gimbo is not a good pitcher. <laughs> Maybe I should take back some of my Raider Escanio is up from um he's up from Clinton right now. So he's like a tiny, <laughs> tiny baby. Just a replacement I can't believe that just happened. Oh my god, that's funny. Sorry. Uh, game 161 though you would you would say that's a that's a fair vote jake what would you say um i i don't know if i can name a game number but i think it's going to be towards the end of the season and it's going to be celebrating after he robs a home run in like a critical situation that's exciting is is this like a he climbs the wall (laughs) yeah like like the one in uh in miami uh, and then backflips off the wall, or you think that would be sick? Uh, no, no. It's while he's he's he makes he makes the catch, ends the inning, and he's uh-huh. running back into the dugout, and he does the backflip while he's running. Okay, in. I like that. I like that. I think it just happened, and it was when he saw the notification that Radar Escanio had hit a home run. <laughs> Because we we know Gerard has has triple A notifications on lock. Um, okay. Next question comes from Chris Gamble. Chris Gamble Jr. Relation? Uh, no, really? Chris, you have to let us know if you are any kind of relation to. Indeed. 
the clan house gamble. Who gets more wins above replacement this season? The Mariners outfield plus Nelson Cruz or the Mariners infield minus Casey Feeney? <laughs> oh, that's mean. <laughs> I just looked this up to, <laughs> for the record, Casey Feeney has been worth negative 0.3 war wow. this year. Okay. Not so great. Not not what you would like to see. But I'm not assuming... a big hit. You know, I'm just saying. No, I mean, I'm I feel like we could F even war? round up to one on that. and Sure. <laughs> <laughs> just make him worth negative one war and assume that that's what we would have seen from him if we'd seen him all year. <laughs> right. I was going to say, I'm, I'm assuming that's F war. Yeah, Jake. Yeah. 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 Which, which should be the trusted. I, uh, well, I, I would say I would trust. And I think we would generally trust that on pitchers. B war, which tr is more results based, uh, has him at negative 0.7 oh. uh, <laughs> in his, so that's a little over 0.1 negative war per inning <laughs> uh, <laughs> since he's pitched six innings. Um, but, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I would say the infield because you have Cano and Seager who are And both, Segura. Yeah, and Segura who are, uh, may put together 12 themselves. And Valencia is, I think, probably in positive or at least – no longer negative now. At yes, he's point. back to positive. Hey! One. Yay! Uh, Danny! <laughs> yeah, I think with the outfield, it's going to be hard to match that with if you're running Jared Dyson out there every day in center field right. with his bat. His bat's just not giving any value. <laughs> and, I mean, he's, he's great defensively and on the bases, but that's only so much. Yeah. I mean... If we're allowed to include Taylor Motter and other miscellaneous outfield pieces <laughs> That's when a good we're point. doing the outfield, I think they could have the edge. And fair. we also have to remember that Mitch Hanniger still leads the Mariners in war <laughs> yes. to this he's, day. He's third in the Ameri or at least in the AL and maybe in all of baseball still uh, by B-Ref uh, <laughs> war still <laughs> position players-wise, which is fun. Uh all right. Uh, next question comes from Ed Strong over uh, over at Husky Dog Pound, or UW Dog Pound rather. Uh, can we please encase the remaining healthy Mariners in bubble wrap when they are not actively playing baseball? <laughs> and I would like to transform this sort of into what would your method of keeping the Mariners safe in between baseball games be? I mean. Uh, you obviously just lock them in the clubhouse. It's team bonding. They <laughs> <laughs> provide food and water and maybe some beer if they get an off day. Mm -hmm. And you pad all of the corners. You, like, you baby-proof the clubhouse and leave them there constantly. And they will not hurt themselves. I mean... That, I mean, even even being in the presence of each other is a danger. True, they're not allowed mm -hmm. to touch each other. You have to keep like a five foot radius around you. I was gonna say, Felix hurt himself last year being excited about his teammates. Like yeah. this is this is yeah. a dangerous game still. Okay, they're all in sumo suits, locked in the clubhouse. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> See, but that's that's dangerous there because then they're gonna start sumo wrestling, and you know that's someone's gonna lose an arm. They're just no, gonna, they're just gonna fall off. You fall over, your 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 blood rushes to your head, and you gotta you gotta migraine the next day. <laughs> you, you can't play. Half the team's out. I cannot believe that my totally valid and legitimate <laughs> solution is being <laughs> manipulated. 
Oh, goodness. Well, now that that nonsense idea, wh- what else we got? What else we got? Jake, let's I mean, see there's probably going to be some uh, physical side effects with this idea, but uh, I would go with carbonite encasing, uh, like Han Solo. Interesting. Interesting. Just like, boom, right into the, into the, you can like line them up on the wall in the clubhouse, mm-hmm. and then just defrost them in the morning. Oh, God. Now... If I'm not mistaken, carbonite encasing generally occurs more commonly around somewhat more nefarious groups. Who are we <laughs> sending in to acquire this technology? Who is the sacrificial sort of uh, lamb here? Oh, boy. Uh, I mean, I, I bet Danny Valencia could probably <laughs> score a pretty good deal. I mean, he seems to be like that kind of guy that like... He, he knows walks a in. Guy. To, yeah, he knows the guy. Or he goes to. He frequents pawn shops and gets great deals on, <laughs> on electronics. He knows a guy. Zach, Zach Sanders um, could absolutely hook it up. Oh, there we go. Oh yeah. God! But business, would he? Business, <laughs> but would he? He might not, but he'd tell you. That's fair. <laughs> That's fair. Kate, what's your plan? Uh, I've been distracted by the fact that there was a mistake. <laughs> There was a mistake. The home run does not belong to Radar Escanio. It belongs to Steve Barron. So, which is <laughs> which is better? <laughs> Just call him up. <laughs> call him up. Um, oh, what is the goodness. way that I would keep them all safe? I mean, I do like the bubble wrap or like the giant boy mm. in a bubble suits. Um, but maybe just like you know, putting them in a very quiet room. Like uh, <laughs> when in Harry Potter, Ron overdid it on the cheering charms and had to be led away <laughs> to a quiet room where he could like recover. Maybe maybe we have something like that. It can just quietly uh, sit there deep. and, um, you know, be entertained. But also, absolutely, there is like a, a large man at the door guarding it and uh, <laughs> keeping any untoward. And maybe also like some hazmat suits. I, I don't know. At this point, it is so wild that, like, I'm halfway considering these things, like, for real. Like, whenever I see them on social media <laughs> dancing or whatever, I'm like, no. Don't, don't, don't. No joy. <laughs> don't, <laughs> Stop it. don't bust something dancing on the bus. Like. Mm-hmm. Oh, goodness. Okay. Our final question this evening comes from Roma John. And it is a simple one. It, it I guess... Technically, this is a question for Isabel and Kate, but uh, we'll open it to everyone. If Gerard Dyson and Guillermo Heredia had a race, who would get to the top of Mount Rainier first? Hashtag soggy. (laughs) And I'm assuming that is a Drew Smiley reference, but maybe it is just general reference to the conditions that they might be uh, experiencing while trying to make this race, and I'm curious how that might influence it. But, uh, Kate... Who do you have? Um, trick question. I have Danny Valencia, who has secretly... <laughs> who knows a guy. Secretly, <laughs> he knows a guy, and he is secretly helicoptered to the top of the mountain and is up there just, like, chilling with, like, a drink. While, uh... Yeah. Danny Valencia would be the most likely to dab in 2017, I think. <laughs> um, and would definitely just be doing so repeatedly at the top of Mount Rainier. I'm, I'm with you on that. Jake? 
Uh, I've got to go with uh, Heredia. I think uh, Dyson is just too slight. I've climbed mountains before, and mm-hmm. it like the altitude change just really takes it out of you. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Heredia is is built better. He's he's I think he's a I don't want to say a better athlete, but he's he's just he has a different body type than than he's Dyson. He's younger too. I, he's, he... I mean, Heredia. Sure, yeah. There we go. Dyson's in his thirties. You get old. Yeah. You get tired. I get tired going to get the mail. <laughs> I think with, I mean, Dyson, he's just sort of like a string that runs so fast. And Heredia is like, he's he's got a more well-rounded athleticism to him. So, I, yeah, I think Heredia wins. So, Heredia absolutely wins, but only because <laughs> when they start out in, like, whatever base camp parking lot of Matt Rainier, someone from the other camp tries to throw a pot over to their friend on the other side. They hit Gerard <laughs> oh, <no>. Dyson <laughs> because he seems to be hit by all projectiles in his vicinity. It's not just seems <laughs> like he's leading the AL right now and hit by pitch. So, Which is amazing for all of those pitchers. Like, that's pinpoint control. Because he's so small. <laughs> he's, you're aiming at nothing. <laughs> So yes, while he is knocked out, Heredia races ahead and then comes back for his friend because, of course, he's a good teammate, but he does win. <laughs> but he mostly wants to win. Of course. He's a competitor. That's right. Um, Gerard Dyson is uh, 0 for 2 with a base on balls at Coors Field in Colorado. Uh, which is the closest <laughs> approximation I can find. Uh, while Guillermo has yet to hit there, we will find that out later this year. So that will be when I can properly answer this question. Um, he is also yet to attempt a stolen base, which is somewhat surprising. That is surprising. Uh, so uh, we'll see if Dyson and Guillermo, I think pretty soon actually, maybe even in June, um, will get to really shore up their, their high-altitude skills. But... Until then, I cannot give a, a an, educate, an educated answer. All right. Well, I think that does it for our questions for this week. Thank you to those of you who submitted them. Even if we did not mention you by name, we incorporated them in some way, I hope. Um, and thank you to my fellow co-hosts this week, John, Isabel, and Jake. And thank you to you for listening. And we will see you back here next time. Bye-bye. You guys can say bye, too. Bye. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Thank you.